Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Jones. Bowden. He's got it. Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four, and England have won the match. Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket, February the 2nd. Do you know what happened on February the 2nd, 50 years ago, Simon? Sir Richard Hadley played his first test match. Sir Richard Hadley, one of the greatest fast bowlers of all time, finished up with 431 test wickets, the first man to 400 test wickets. He played his first test on February the 2nd, 1973, and he took two for 112. So he was lucky to stay in the team, really. Anyway, uh, that's just a little mark for you, uh, a a historical landmark, February the 2nd. But today, we're going to ask you two questions. One, how fit do you need to be to play professional cricket? And two, would you like to join our next quiz? Because we had a quiz last night in the World's Best Cricket Club, worldsbestcricketclub.com. Actually, you can go to our website, which is worldsbestcc.com and see our gallery of events and see some of the questions that were asked last night, which included, Simon? Well, one there were lots of questions. Rob, one of our members, did the quiz. He had four rounds. There was a, a picture round, actually, yours, and you were one of the obscured pictures. I, I got you. I, you were easy to spot. I think it was the lack of hair, or was it the bloke hitting you for six? I can't remember. It was one, it was one of those two things. Anyway, um, so here's a question, and we'll give you the answer uh, later in the podcast. England won the T20 World Cup last year when they beat Pakistan in the final. But it was their second victory. It was their second T20 World Cup final victory. What was their team, what was the 11, when they beat Australia in 2010? Now, you ducked out of the quiz before you got to that point. You did very well in the first round, but you ducked out because you had another event uh, to go to. We did this before we came on air, and I reckon that you got about eight. So you're missing a few. I only got six. I had a few players in there that, that, that didn't play. It's amazing how time plays tricks on your memory. Um, I, don't want, I don't necessarily want you to have a go, Alex. I want people who are listening to the podcast to have a think about it. We'll give you the answer uh, later in the podcast. So what was England's eleven? when they won the 2010 World Cup against Australia in the West Indies. Of course, you can go away and Google it if you want. It's very easy to find. But see how many you can get without Googling it. Anyway, answer uh, later. We're also in this podcast going to have a look back at England's 2-1 series defeat in South Africa. Uh, Lots of runs scored in that series. Bowler's been flogged left, right and centre. But not Joffre Archer yesterday. Great to see him back. Uh, with six for 40. But back to the uh, so one of the burning questions uh, of the moment, actually, it's got, got a lot of people stirred up, a lot of people engaged, is how fit do you need to be uh, to be a professional cricketer or, or an international cricketer? And the reason we're asking that is Dana van Nierkirk, the captain of South Africa, women's captain, has been left out of their squad for the forthcoming T20 World Cup because she could not run two kilometres inside their cutoff time 
of nine and a half minutes. Now, the men have a cutoff time as well in South Africa, and it's eight and a half minutes. And Sisanda Magala, who was the player of the match in the first one-day international between England and South Africa, he failed it last year, and he was out of the side as a result. So how quickly, Yoz, do you think when you were playing, could you have run two kilometres? I don't know. I, I We never did that kind of training. We did a run pre-season, jogging around Regent's Park at a fairly leisurely pace. And we always suspected that Mike Gatting, who was right at the back of the pack, stopped halfway and then caught the bus back to Lords. Uh, and we sort of arrived back after 20, 25 minutes, but there was no really timing or anything done. And the, our trainer was Graham Barlow, the England left-handed batsman, who was quite military in the way that he approached things in the gym. We'd have to do lots of shuttles and things like that, but there was no actual timing. There was no measurement of anyone's oxygen levels or anything like that. So it, it, it's hard to say. I, I mean, I tried to keep fit by going on regular runs myself because I knew I'd have to bowl lots of overs to get to get people out, you know, lots of balls. Mm. But th there was no measurement, certainly, like there is now. Okay, okay. so what, what was your sort of gut reaction then when you heard that Dana van Nierkirk had been left out? Disappointment, really, because I, I feel that, you know, obviously it's important to be fit. And uh, uh, cricket is much more a, a fitness game and a power game and a strength game than it used to be. But it's still essentially a skills game. And I think with, with her in particular, she's a match winner. She's a really high quality cricketer who has a great deal of mental strength, deals very well with pressure situations. And I would want her in my team, uh, almost regardless of her fitness, because I feel she's inspiring. And I, I don't really care about, uh, as long as she can bowl her overs and, and bat effectively... I don't really care about her fitness in this case. There are some players, you do need them to be fit because of their particular role. But in her case, I didn't feel that... I feel that the competition and South Africa are the losers there. Well, I mean, clearly, it's not great having a player of that ability not in your team. She's the captain, though. Surely, shouldn't she be setting the example? that You know, I don't know, I might... I, I'm sorry, I'm ambivalent about it. I felt, yeah, you. of course you want the best players there and she is one of their best players. But as the captain, aren't you setting the, the, the benchmark for everybody else? Aren't you setting the example? If your captain's not fit, is it all right for everyone else uh, to well, be unfit? The, the, these numbers are a bit random. And I know that the scientists, the sports scientists have done their calculations and sort of worked out what is a, 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 a decent level to achieve and everybody should try and get below that. Well, she has been trying to get below her benchmark and improving on her time. Apparently, she was at 10 minutes for the 2K run, and now she's got that down by about 15 seconds. So she's improving, which shows a good attitude. OK, so she hasn't reached that 9.30 benchmark, the, the sort of ceiling that the, the coach and the trainer want her to achieve. But I would allow a bit of leeway for her sheer quality. Mm. Anyway, we're going to hear from Phil Scott in just a moment, who is involved with the England setup? He's actually out in, in Sri Lanka with the Lions and he's looking after the pace bowlers as well. And actually, he actually gives quite a good insight into why there is a two-kilometre uh, benchmark because it's not just a random thing that South Africans do. England use it as well as a benchmark of your fitness and it is uh, quite a good guide. Don't you think... I, one, one thing... I, I, uh, you have the proviso. Yeah, it's it's not great that a player of this ability and stature as well within South African cricket uh, is, is not playing in the World Cup. But I don't know, for, just for the future of the game, you know, the women's game is getting more and more professional. Uh, there's more and more money in the game that in, inevitably you want to, to lift standards. And that includes, you know, fitness levels as well. I mean, I don't, for example, I know these games, I know different sports, uh, you know, you can't totally compare them. But Football, professional football would never tolerate uh, a lack of fitness. Not not in the modern game, would they? No, no way. And and you know, rugby. I know that. I know they're more power games. I know. I accept that. But you know, cricket is about fitness and athleticism as well as it is about skill and and technique and and you know, mental toughness and all those sorts of things. So in a way, are you sort of putting a a line in the sand and saying, actually, no, we need to raise the standards, and no one is an exception to that. Well, uh, it's a good question. And by the way, I, 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 
who was that snooker player? Was it Bill Werbenick? Who Werbenick, had to yeah. drink eight pints before he could hit a, a straight cue ball. Obviously, that is a different sport. It's, it's arguable whether it's a sport at all, really. But uh, it's a game rather than a sport is what I mean. But, uh, I mean, obviously things have changed. I mean, in my day, we didn't have anything. Then the bleep test came in. And then, the, in fact, the yo-yo test, which was a similar thing to the bleep test, both of them absolutely dreaded by all cricketers. I mean, yes, of course it's important to get general fitness levels. And the game is more about fitness now than it was. Things like running between the wickets. In a way, one of the reasons why the mancad has come in so much is because batsmen are trying to steal those extra sort of centimetres to make their ground, to run twos, when perhaps in the past they might have only run one, things like that. So, you know, fitness is important. But I did a graphic uh, of a player's overall ability recently, uh, a sort of blueprint for how to uh, evaluate a cricketer. And I divided it up into five portions, almost like a pizza, a pie chart, five categories. So batting, bowling, fielding, fitness and mental strength. Those are the sort of five categories that is how you might evaluate a cricketer. And we debated how much of the pie should be batting, bowling and fielding, fitness and mental. And we came up with the idea in the end, and I talked to sports psychologists about this, that mental and fitness were about 10% each and that the other three disciplines, batting, bowling and fielding, were sort of 75 to 80%. So that just illustrates that fitness and mental strength are important but they're only sort of 25% of the pie. So you can't compare it in any way. What you're saying is you can't compare it in any way with something like football or, or rugby because they are such they are so fitness-based, aren't they? I mean, technique is important. Of course it is in, the, in those sports. But actually fitness is so much, is a bigger percentage of the game than it is, say, in cricket. I am saying that. And, you know, there are examples of some pretty talented cricketers who are not slim, let's say, uh, I can give you Raheem Cornwall from West Indies. Remember that amazing catch that that Bermudan cricketer Dwayne Leverock took in, I think, a World Cup match, diving catch at first slip, one-handed. You know, a huge guy, um, but he was a good spinner. He wasn't much of a batsman, but he was actually a decent fielder. Look, you know, it, we, it's game has changed. It's evolving rapidly, but I still think, for me skill is still more a lot more important than fitness and 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 mental strength the ability mm. to withstand pressure and win games yeah but you're old school yours i mean you you Thanks. you Thanks. went to the um hospitality tent at canterbury before you were going to bat in a championship match well i needed to relax you know i needed to sort of chill out a bit <laughs> you thought you weren't going to bat that runs the off the last yeah, okay. So I, I th- there have been many stories of cricketers doing that. It was a different sort of culture. You know, now, would I do that now? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have done that. I mean, it, it was sort of more accepted then. You had to keep the hospitality people happy, you know, to go and visit. I mean, we had a rota in the Middlesex dressing room. Who's going to go and go around the hospitality boxes today to chat to the sponsors? It's an important part of the game to keep them happy, to engage with the sponsors, find out what they need, bring a couple of them into the dressing room, things like that. Occasionally that leads to a drink or two. I know, uh, hearing from and having talked to a lot to Phil Scott, who we're going to hear from now, the England trainer, or certainly was now with the Lions, alcohol is a no-no. You know, and he's worked out that it has 10% influence on your performance the next day if you have two or three pints the night before. So... You know, the scientists have been doing their job and have made it, you know, a little bit more restricted by the kind of things you're allowed to do. You've got to have a bit of fun occasionally, though, haven't you? Well, yeah, but I mean, away, presumably away from the game, away from your job. I mean, let, 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 let's hear from Phil Scott, actually, because he he, he talks about the, the importance of the two kilometre run, doesn't he? In, you know, as, as part of a, a player, as general fitness. So anyway, he's out in Sri Lanka uh, uh, with the Lions. He's working with the England uh, pace bowlers as well. And you spoke to him a little earlier. Yeah, that's right. And the first thing I asked him was, what does the general fitness testing entail? What we do, I can tell you that the tests that we, we put the guys through that we have done for the last few years now, um, aerobically, they do a two kilometre time trial. Um, and with it, with that, we there's no um, 
I guess, uh, penalty as such. But we, we, we like to have the guys under eight minutes for that. And we, we generally have no problems with achieving that. Um, they also go through a sprint test as well. Obviously, they do a lot of sprinting, one between the wickets and to the boundaries. So we do a straight line 40 metre sprint test. Um, again, some of our, there's no, there's no um, I guess, penalty. But what we like to see the guys, some of our fastest guys will be um, around 4.8, 4.9 seconds for that 40 metre sprint. Uh, we have a run to two, which is probably no great surprise for speed. Um, and again, some of some of the faster guys will come in at around 5.7 to 5.8 seconds for that run two. We do that with a bat, by the way, as well. We'll also the, the nutritionists will come in and will we'll obviously have an element of a program for how best to go around eating. And there, there'll be um, skin folds that we take in throughout the year at certain points to make sure. And I guess help guide the guys as to um, whether their intake is is correct and and trying to keep them in optimal performance mode for that as well. The, the dreaded fat calipers. When they probably came in, they probably were dreaded. But the reality that I've started to see, or we started to see within cricket, is the the support from a sports science point of view. Is these guys are training all year round now, and um, yes, there's variation. Some people are probably more happy to see them than others, but. One, the guys know it happens. Two, they know how it, it supports their performance uh, these days. And, and they're keen to, well, and they've also got the support from the nutritionists uh, around the counties and international level that they know how it's, um, it's there to support their performance as much as possible. So anything to keep these guys on the field, available, uh, injury, injury free. And, uh, you know, the opportunities now, are, as I'm sure your listeners and you know, is that is unbelievable. So missing out on an IPL is quite an expensive, um, I guess, venture now. So then wanting to be as, as available as possible is is really key, which actually, I guess, buys gets them to buy into what we what we're here for and what we're here to support them to do even more so. So it's um, I, I, they're probably less dreaded now, but everyone knows why they're there to support them. And they can, uh, it always helps your Instagram pictures as well if you've got, you know, a flat torso, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so just just going back to the two kilometre run, um, you say yeah. that they try and get uh, eight minutes or under, or, you know, eight minutes is yeah. a sort of benchmark for, 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 for making sure you achieve. What is that based on? Why, why eight minutes? And, and what is the importance of that sort of figure? Well, it, I guess um, I'll, I'll keep it, um, hopefully, make it as simple as possible. But we can't track them on a trip. The optimal way of finding out what their aerobic fitness is is through a VO2 max test. And that, um, from a gold standard point of view, comes through the lab. We don't have the resources or the time uh, to put the guys through a full lab test to get their VO2 max. And the research out there supports very much so that um, if you do a 2K time trial, uh, that the the speed that you will arrive at or the average speed for that 2k time trial matches up very closely to the average speed that you would have got uh, for your vo2 max in the in a lab test there's a very strong correlation so we can suddenly eliminate the guys going to a lab we can run around a track it takes hopefully less than eight minutes and we've got all the information in a valid and reliable way so that's that's why we've we've used that this is a two-kilometre run round a track, is it, rather than on a treadmill? Yes, yeah, two, 2K run on, around a track. Um, treadmills are always slightly easier because you can run with them as opposed to have to produce the force yourself. So, yeah, we get them around a track um, and, and then really simply you need a stopwatch um, and it's five laps around there. Has this replaced uh, the, the old-fashioned idea of the yo-yo and, and bleep tests? Yes, very simply, um, purely because you can do so much more with the information. Um, you can you can start to do some other stuff with the sprint, um, with with the sprint numbers, and 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 you can use the the scores from the two K and start to do some other funky stuff. I have I have there is there is lots of research and lots of articles out there. You can Google it um, and and have a read around that. But yes, fundamentally, that's there's there's deeper reasons why we've. we've taken away the yo-yo mm -hmm. partly because we can do more we can use the information more for their programming and make it more individual for them once we have the information from their sprints their 2ks their run twos um alike okay 
Um, just, just if a, a sort of amateur player, a young player, is listening to this and wants to, you know, get to, you know, a reasonable level of fitness and aiming to be someone who can do a two k run in eight minutes or under, and at the moment they're yep. not. What are the simplest things? And I know every body shape and size and type is different, but what are the basic things they can do? to try and get to that eight-minute target? The basic things that spring to mind are um, eat well uh, in, in terms of the fueling that you're, you're taking in. So get rid of the, the rubbish within your diet and start to eat quality foods. Get enough sleep. I don't think that's probably kind of looked at enough and thought about, but make sure you get minimum eight hours of sleep. In terms of the running-specific work, uh, without going into kind of, you know, whether you're more aerobic or whether you're a sprinter, um, fundamentally, if you look at building up some running volume, so be able to cope with a 5, 10, 15, 20 minute run um, as, a, as a baseline, that's a good start. Once you're able to do that to a reasonable standard, then then you can probably start going towards your interval type training. So you might look at um, you might start with two minutes of running on one minute off or walking. And you can repeat that six to eight times. Once you've once you've had a, a I guess a period of doing that, then you could probably take it up a little bit more in terms of intensity. You might work towards a one minute uh, of work, thirty seconds off, um, and you can repeat that up to ten to twelve times. And then you might getting closer towards the season, you might look at doing something along the lines of, um, you know, fifteen seconds on, fifteen seconds off but that intensity goes up again. Um, and if you work towards each of those within four-week periods, um, so you've got three or four months leading into a season, then you're going to be in a pretty good place. You must be delighted to see certainly initial signs of, of Joffre Archer's return, having, I'm sure, worked with him a lot on his rehab. Yeah, I, I think everyone's really happy. And and straight away I'd say that, you know, we've been there's been a lot of people involved um, at... at all, all sorts of levels. Sussex have been unbelievable in terms of um, providing that support. He's just even had support back in the Caribbean. He had his surgery in New Zealand. Ben Langley, um, who's recently moved or about to move on from ECB as a physio, has has led a lot on that. The doctors here. So um, I, I've I've seen Joff a few times, but no means as much as um, I guess the rest of our team. Um, and Joff himself has done some you know put in some serious amounts of work so he was you could you could tell he was starting to get excited to get back to playing and um and to start bowling some rockets and thankfully he's gone well in that last game and i'm sure there'll be plenty more to come Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So it's clear from listening to Phil Scott that all the players take it on themselves, all the England players take it on themselves to be super fit and People like Butler and Ben Stokes have really led the way there. I, I think particularly, actually, Joss Butler. And, and actually, you're watching him, you know, batting in, in South Africa. <laughs> he was on the field for virtually the whole game, wasn't he, in that last one day? He came in at 14 for three and batted till about the 45th over, made an absolutely magnificent hundred. And, and I was watching him, actually. I was watching his fitness and watching those running twos that he did, which Phil Scott talks about there. And he, there was one, actually, where he just got in, didn't he, when um, he kind of conned 
David Miller, the, the fielder, that he was only going for one. And then he haired back for the second and just got in by perhaps three or four centimetres. And I suppose that's a measure of the fitness work he does that just keeps him in that tip-top condition and enables him not only to run those twos and, and hit the boundaries and stuff, but to play long innings because he batted for probably the best part of 40 overs. So, you know, England players are very uh, responsible, aren't they, in maintaining these excellent fitness levels. But I don't think anyone yet has beaten Alistair Cook's two-kilometre record, which is round about five and a half minutes. And well, the Phil Scott there, he seems to suggest actually that the the limit for for male cricketers that he was that he's working with is actually quite generous, and you'd sort of expect all of them to be sort of well inside the distance, and no one would be really pushing the the eight thirty uh, for men, and it was nine thirty uh, for women. So, I, and the other thing, you, when you mention those two players though, yours, you mentioned Joss Butler and Ben Stokes as being super fit, and what are they? They are the captains. They are the captains of the one-day team, the white ball team, and the test team, and they are leading by example. So yeah, I just, I just brings me back to the, the, the Dana van Nierkirk situation. You think, well, you know, you are you, you're the captain. You're you're the one that is supposed to be you know, leading from the front. I mean, you can argue, you know, all you like about whether that that one, two kilometer. Uh, a benchmark is is significant or is vital, but it's, everyone knows it. I think that's the thing. It's not it's not like a new. It's not a th- something that's just been sprung on you. Uh, it's interesting actually from comments from uh, Temba Bavuma uh, last year when uh, Magala was not in the South African side because of uh, fitness issues, and you know Bavuma was said. I, I don't think there's much of a discussion to be had around it. That the matter of fitness test is something that's made aware to all cricketers within our system, and everyone knows what they need to do to make themselves eligible from a fitness perspective. So there's Temba Bavuma, the captain of the South African white ball team. He led them to that uh, one-day international victory, making it very clear that he had, no, you know, Magala was not fit enough uh, to be in the South African side uh, last year. Uh, uh, you know, there'll be people listening to this who will be shouting at me, shouting at you, whatever, you know, but there's always people shouting, I suppose, in the modern world. Uh, but it, yeah, there are. There are people shouting all the time. I've had a lot of people <laughs> shouting at me this week because of what I talked about with Ben Duckett, by the way, mm. who got out in that first One Day International playing a bit of a loose cut shot early on against the new ball and getting an edge off Andrich Nokia behind. And I posted on Twitter possible evidence that Ben Duckett might not be ideal to open in the ashes. And I got an absolute torrent of vitriol from people saying, why did you judge him on one game? It's a white ball. It's not a red ball. It's not a test match. It's a one-day international. He just played brilliantly in Pakistan. What a stupid thing to say. And then, of course, he gets out exactly the same way two games later. And and actually, I suppose Ben Duckett himself incited more reaction by reading it himself, reading my tweet himself, which I, I didn't necessarily intend him to, although I made the the elementary mistake of tagging him in the tweet, which I didn't sort of think to myself, oh, that's going to make him read it. I didn't particularly want him to read it, or I didn't mind if he read it, but it wasn't supposed to be a, a, a sort of massive criticism. It was just an observation. And I've just had, you know, so much kind of uh, vitriol, but he did get out the same way a couple of uh, games later for naught. And Kev, Kevin Peterson sort of backed me up by saying on commentary, you can't play like that in the Southern Hemisphere against the new ball. You're going to edge more than you hit playing like that. And my point, I suppose, was undermined by the simplicity and shortness of Twitter because you can only have, what, 120 characters or something. So your sentences have to be a bit short. What I really wanted to say was that Ben Duckett is very good at cutting and pulling. He's a short guy who is very good against a short ball. But early in an innings in England against Pat Cummins and Josh Hazelwood, who will bowl back of a length fairly tight into the stumps, that sort of shot, which he has a very strong inclination to play, it's his bread and butter trademark shot, the little back cut sort of down to third man, is a risky shot to play against those types of bowlers with a red ball. And I felt he might find it hard to not play that shot. That was my point, really. Not that he's not good enough, but that his natural style of shot making 
is perhaps might not be appropriate for those sorts of bowlers with a new ball. So therefore, he might be better off, if possible, down the order or somebody else opening the batting just particularly in that series. But that's not to deny the excellent work he did in Pakistan, where horses for courses, low bouncing pitches, lots of spin. He was brilliant. Yeah, one thing Harry Brook said to me actually on, on many occasions when you know I was asking about his hundred after hundred after hundred, he said what I would say about Pakistan is this is the best place to bat in the world, and he's you know he's played the the uh, Pakistan Super League as well, so he's had some experience of playing in Pakistan. So he said the pitches out here are the best in the world for batting. So you you you, you want to go to Pakistan and score runs, and you can do no more than well Harry Brook did and. Also, Ben Duckett as well. He was excellent in that series. He, he, he played really well. But there are different tests, aren't there, coming in, in different parts of the world. And the test in England is, is a very different test in South Africa. But they're still very testing uh, conditions. One with the extra bounce, one with the, the movement. I mean, Ben Duckett has played a lot of cricket. I mean, he's, you know, he's been successful uh, playing in England. And you know, he, he knows his game a bit better now, a lot better now than when he, when he first played. He's a, he's, a, he's a mature, you know, he's an experienced cricketer now. So I suppose it's up to him to deal with the challenge that is, is going to be there, isn't it? I mean, if he if he is opening the batting for England uh, this summer, the challenge is going to be there from the, the Australian quicks. There's no doubt about it. There will be specific fields set for that type of shot and that, that type of bowling. It's inevitable. You said Ben Duck, Duckett read it and interacted with it. What, what, what was the comeback from him? He said, sorry, Simon, I'll leave it next time. And then he didn't. <laughs> Two games later, he played the same shot and got out the same way. Uh, for naught <laughs> off Lungi and Gidi. It was a good ball. It bounced a bit, but it was the new ball. And J- Jason Roy had already got out. I, I, I felt, it, I think it's it's just some batsmen just have a shot that it's their go-to shot that they almost can't help themselves playing. And I just feel Ben Duckett's one of those players. It, it's his both his strength and his weakness. You know, it's a strength because he can cut the ball, which isn't that wide or that short, on a decent pitch, but against a new ball and a quality bowler who, with a bit of extra bounce, it's a risky shot to play. Mm. Okay, let's move on from uh, Ben Duckett. Let's talk about the series in general. I'm good for South Africa. They won two matches. Their chances of qualifying for the World Cup have, have, have massively increased. They're not there yet, but they have given themselves a good chance because they do have two make-up games against the Netherlands to come. They were involved in this series that started and then was... Uh, postponed because of COVID. So they played one match in inverted commas and it was rained off. So they got five points. Both teams got five points each for that game. There's still two matches to play. If South Africa win those two games against the Netherlands, there's a very good chance, I think, that they they will qualify for the World Cup. New Zealand, uh, Sri Lanka have got to go to New Zealand. And if they won 3-0 there, that might put South Africa under some pressure. It depends on things like losing points for bowling rates and things like that so but it's looking so much better for South Africa now despite the loss of that that last match Ireland is still in it as well uh, West Indies though could be the big losers uh, they could miss out and have to go through the the qualifying uh, tournament which, which, so, gives which them a, they did before yeah didn't they? they've been that they've which, been which, there before, which they yeah. had to before I, I, I mean I really hope South Africa get through because they they are a really exciting side I love watching them play actually I love their fast bowling you know, is there a, a more predatory, fearsome-looking fast bowler than that? Andrich Nokia? He's just, you know, he's laser-guided at the batsman. He just, he, he looks like a batsman hater, doesn't he? And he's just superb the way he keeps coming in all the time. And he definitely won South Africa that first game. And talking of fast bowling, I mean, Joffrey Archer was immense, I thought, in that third game. He actually bowled OK in the first match and was dispatched for 84. I thought he looked fine. He was a bit unlucky and there was a few good shots and it was an absolute belter of a wicket in Bloemfontein. And then in Kimberley, I thought he just looked, the other day, actually outstanding. You know, he was bowling good pace. He was. He seemed to be even closer to the stumps and I remember him right over the top of sort of leg stump at the bowler's end and absolutely beautiful line. He was bowling consistently. Sometimes when he falls away slightly at the crease to the left, he angles the ball into the right-handers and gives them stuff off their pads. But here he was absolutely plumb line straight, excellent pace and bounce, good intelligence to change his pace occasionally and, and just choose the right ball to bowl at the right time. Got three big wickets in the middle of the innings to change the game and just looked fantastic. He was the difference between the sides. Otherwise, South Africa would have had 
A three nil whitewash there. Yeah, they would have done. Yeah, six for forty in a in a total of what high two hundreds, and and most of the rest of the bowlers. Uh, were dispatched, weren't they? They were dealt with quite comfortably. Adi Rashid posed a threat because he got the ball to spin. He picked up some uh, very valuable uh, wickets. But yeah, it's it's tough, isn't it, for the bowlers? They're getting pumped around the ground. You know, decent pitches, really high-scoring series. Um, England's bowling, it's going to be... I mean, it's, it's, it's so difficult to say, isn't it? And they lost in Australia after the T20 World Cup. It was a sort of nothing series, really. I don't think there was that, that drive there. And although there were players out there who had something to prove, it really was after the Lord Mayor's show. This, this series played in the middle of a T20 series and some players, be, you know, just jetted in for it. The likes of Moen Ali and Chris Wokes and David Milan. Although, you know, but they've had some success along the way, especially with the bat and Milan making a, a hundred. And, you know, other players breaking out of T20 to play a one-day international series that actually meant a lot more to South Africa than it did to England. I know you're playing for your country, you know, that you, there's got to be drive there. Uh, but South Africa had a lot to play for. You know, there's World Cup qualification uh, to play for in this series. I thought they responded really well, South Africa. I thought they looked quite a dangerous team uh, with some, you know, some good ammunition. Yeah, and Bavuma himself was under pressure to perform and he played well. I, I had my doubts about him actually as... A, an opening batsman in the ODI format, but he scored a, an excellent hundred. He he got the game off to the innings off to a good start on the third match as well, and he, he looked as if he raised his game a level. And it's again very important figure for South African cricket. He's the only black batsman who's really made it, isn't he? And and has established himself in some of the sides uh, over a consistent period and has scored hundreds. And that, that's such a symbol for, for the rest of the country as they're still grappling with, you know, trying to be more diverse as a, as a nation and as a team. And uh, I, hopefully he can really th- throw down a marker, encourage others of his type to, to, to get in and, and, and take the game seriously batting-wise because they're no, not shorted of superb black athletes for bowlers, but they haven't got many batsmen, and you know that's they're they're missing out on I don't know what percentage of the population, probably eighty percent of the population there. So you know, so it's a wonderful thing to see him play so well. Of course, for England with Milan playing brilliantly, it's just thrown the the cat amongst the pigeons again with selection, hasn't it? Because Root's going to come back into that side eventually. Stokes probably does want to come back at some point as well. Alex Hales hasn't been selected because he's chosen the Pakistan Super League to play in in this next uh, sort of phase of One Day Internationals, which England are playing in Bangladesh. So he hasn't been named in that touring party. So there's a lot of sort of players still jockeying for position. Jason Roy, good to see him come back and make a brilliant hundred in the first match. But he's still a bit feast or famine, isn't he? Yeah, a couple of low scores after that hundred. England were without Root, Bairstow, Stokes, if he has retired from one-day international cricket, we're not sure he might come back for the World Cup, Livingston and Wood in that series. So they were without five players that you know could possibly feature in a World Cup in India. It was useful for them to win that last game. Uh, they haven't been in, in particularly good form in, in ODI cricket. From 2020 to now, they've had 15 wins and, and 15 losses since they won the World Cup. So the 50% win record since they won the World Cup uh, in 2019. They haven't been playing as much one-day international cricket. You, you, you know, you, you, uh, T20's taken priority, hasn't it, the last couple of years with two T20 World Cups. They do have some to come in Bangladesh, and they have some in the domestic season as well, New Zealand and Ireland. And then you're into the World Cup in, in October in India. In, India looking good, aren't they? They're, in home conditions, they always will be. I mean, they're my, they're my quite clear favourites to, to win the World Cup at home again. Bag chock full of talent. They've largely been dismissing uh, all comers in their uh, domestic international season. Um, yeah, so I mean, it promises to be a, a fascinating World Cup. Lots of subcontinental teams as well, which, you know, which would draw, make the standard, I think, much more even. Afghanistan, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, well, possibly Sri Lanka, Pakistan, obviously India, you know, so lots of interest there as well. Uh, it, it promises to be fascinating, but it's going to be, I think, tough for the likes of uh, England and South Africa if they do qualify to go there and, and make a, a significant impression on the tournament. And you know, get well, the goal will be for England to get to the semi finals and see what happens from there. Before that, of course, one little uh, thing for the, the near future is 
the Women's World T20 Tournament, which is starting in about 10 days' time. And our next guest in the World's Best Cricket Club is Danny Wyatt, one of the members of the England Women's World T20 side. That's taking place in South Africa starting on February the 10th. And just as another commercial for our club, worldsbestcc.com, you can go there and look at our events coming up. Danny Wyatt is our live guest next week. You can join us and ask her a direct question. She actually was at the women's under-19 final last weekend, which, of course, England sadly lost to India, uh, having got bowled out for 69. It was a disappointing uh, end to a really good tournament for the England under-19 team, but they just fell in a heap in that last match, and India were too good. But wonderful for India the first ever international tournament that their women's team of any age have won. Yeah, well, you feel they've got the, they've got the resources, they've got the... Uh, yeah, that's it. They've got the resources, haven't they? Not in all sorts of ways to, to progress their teams. And you, you think the new uh, women's IPL is, is going to advance that even more. You, you feel they could, they're destined to really start to challenge right at the top uh, of, of women's cricket as well as men's cricket as well. Perhaps, you know get after the Australians and you know that was a showcase that tournament for a couple of young players to get women's IPL contracts too because the draft is coming up shortly and there'll be girls there women there who could easily earn 150 grand for a a fairly short tournament so because I think it's 1.2 million the budget for each team so you know there's there's players there that could easily earn 100,000 or more and uh, so Great opportunity for women all around the world, actually. Fantastic. Right, coming up is our our Club World section, which we uh, brought in uh, this year. Listen out for that in just a moment. But I'm going to answer that question that I posed right at the start of the podcast and put those people who haven't Googled it out of their misery. What was England's team in the 2010 T20 uh, World Cup final? And I imagine there'll be a few uh, groans around and about as you listen uh, to the answers. You might well have got I don't know, six, eight, whatever. I got six uh, last night in our, our quiz. You got eight before we came on air, y'all. So here's the team. It is Michael Lum and Craig Keyswetter at the top of the order. Keyswetter, the wicketkeeper. Kevin Peterson. Paul Collingwood was the captain. Owen Morgan. Luke Wright, which is one player that I don't think you got, yours. Tim Bresnan. And another player you definitely didn't get, yours was Michael Yardy. Graham Swan, who did get, Ryan Sidebottom, and you'll kick yourself for this. I think one player you didn't get, I think you got eight, and he was one you didn't get, Stuart Broad, who went on to be England's T20 captain in a T20 World Cup. So I don't think you got right, Yardy and Broad. Oh, I forgot yeah. I forgot Craig Keyswetter. I was trying to think who, who kept wicket, and I just, was, I just couldn't. He's a, he's a golf pro now, isn't he, somewhere? I think he's, he might be in South Africa, actually. We want to get him on our show at some point if we can track him down, because he, of course, he got a terrible eye injury and yeah. had to retire, but has now gone into golf, and he's doing pretty well, apparently. So, mm. well done to him. And you did say, didn't you, in that quiz, that there was a picture round that I was featured and you got me. Yeah. Well, if you featured in a picture round, it would only show you blocking, so I'd get you very. Yeah, you probably you probably were touche. Yeah, that was that was that was a that was a good comeback and a and a very justified comeback as well. Just I mean, just some of the other questions people might be interested in that um, got us scratching our heads. Who, who were the last five winners of the T Twenty Blast? Who were the last five winners of the T20 Blast? And who were the first three winners of the IPL? Well, I know the first winner. We all know the first winner, don't we? Rajasthan Royals under Shane Warne. Go on then, Yoz. Who was the second winner of the, of the IPL? Chennai Super Kings? No, they were the third winners. Uh, second, Delhi Daredevils. No, they've never won it. Not them. No. no. Um, well, I'll have to go Mumbai Indians then. No, it wasn't them either. And actually, it's actually a team that doesn't exist anymore. The Deccan uh, Chargers. So Who are the, now the Hyderabad Sunrise of Hyderabad, aren't they? Yeah, well, That's anyway, it. so they, those are the first three winners of the IPL. And the last five winners of, of the T20 Blast, Hampshire, Kent, Nottinghamshire, Essex and Worcestershire. I got three of those five. Anyway, those were those were the quiz last night. I mean, please join the World's Best Cricket Club. We've got another quiz coming up in a, a couple of months' time. Some of the questions were... Uh, Pretty brutal. difficult. I say yeah. brutal, quite, quite well, yeah. difficult, actually. Let's get you knowledgeable cricket fans on into our club because you'll have some fun. Worldsbestcc.com.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Club World, our section looking at the grassroots of the game, village cricket, club cricket, etc. We have a special guest on today who hosts the Stumps, Umps and Beer Pumps podcast all about club cricket. It's Ian Livingston. Before we get to you, Ian, uh, just wanted to mention one thing I noticed on Twitter regarding club cricket. And we're trying to sort of raise issues about club cricket each week, things that have occurred, problems that clubs are having. And Dorset Hospital Services, CC, have been appealing for money for a new roller because otherwise they're not going to be able to play on grass anymore. And that's a lot of NHS staff uh, who live in Dorset trying to play their regular cricket, needing a new roller. So look out for that on Twitter. If you Google that, Dor- Dorset Hospital Services, CC, uh, they're doing a crowdfunding site there to try and get some money for a new roller to be able to play on grass pitches. It seems to be actually at the moment that... Uh, West Country seems to be suffering or seems to be getting more attention on this section of our podcast and other areas. But we're changing that today because, Ian, you're from the Derbyshire region. And so although your podcast, Stumps, Umps and Beer Pumps, is all about club and village cricket, you do sometimes focus on Derbyshire. We do. It's you know we are based in the Derbyshire League, our own club. Um, ironically, we actually are in Staffordshire. Our cricket club is literally a three iron away from the Derbyshire border. Is the best way to describe it. And uh, we're, we're in the Derbyshire League, and a lot of our focus in the first six to eight months of our podcast was around Derbyshire clubs and clubs around this area. But slowly but surely, it's growing, and we're starting to talk to clubs around the country. And we're going to do one or two things around the country with various cricket clubs this year, just to. Just keep club cricket on the radar because there's no other sport, as far as we're concerned, where so many players are supporters and vice versa. Um, it doesn't happen in rugby and cricket, in rugby and football, like it does in cricket. And, and what sort of uh, stories do you feature? What sort of players? What sort of uh, uh, things do you do you dig up? I, I think that's the best question you could ask. Dig up is a really good one because some of the stories you really do have to delve deep to some, one or two of these guys. I think our, our most popular episodes so far, uh, Simon, have been our what we call our GOAT series. So the GOAT series is where we talk to the greatest of all time, batter and bowler at an individual club. So to pick an example, we've got um, Dunstall Cricket Club, not too far from here, play at beautiful Deer Park. Uh, they've got a batter there, Jamie Benstead, who scored almost 15,000 runs for Dunstall. And we've also got a bowler there who scored, who's taken 600 plus wickets in Martin Cluley. Now, that then takes so many years with the history from them. And we can talk about what's happened over their careers there. And what, of course, we always have a bit of banter about in particular is they're what we call the play cricket years. So that's everything that's on play cricket. And any of your listeners who play club cricket, they'll know exactly what we mean by that. So we have coined this phrase BPC before play cricket for all of those older cricketers out there who've actually got hundreds and hundreds of runs and hundreds and hundreds of wickets out there. Includes my co-host, Richard Marsa, who goes on and on about the the runs that he has not got on play cricket. Well, doesn't a scorecard, isn't isn't that valid? An old score sheet. I've got old scorebooks from my school games from the 1970s and 80s. And is is that not um, a valid way of including something? I suppose that could all be forged. I'm not going to answer that one before I incriminate myself because I'm sure there's a lot of people talk about a lot of runs that they've scored over the years and a lot of uh, catches that they remember. But it's yeah, at the end of the day, we're in the you know, 21st century. Play cricket gives us about 20 years with a pure club cricket history. Interestingly, only 10 days ago, we, we spoke with Andy Mitchell uh, from Alzat uh, Cricket up in Derbyshire, one of the biggest cricket retailers well known across the whole country. He's got records of every single one of his own individual games going back to the mid-1970s. How many wickets he took, how many catches, how many runs, all in his own little ledger. 
Now, I can only find back to 2002 on play cricket, but he could tell me about the hundreds and hundreds of other stuff they'd done before. And I'm sure you know, we've coined this phrase badges in cricket. I'm sure there's lots of guys out there who've got all that information. And maybe one day it will be uploaded onto play cricket, but not just yet. Simon, uh, your old score books, I bet you've got some, haven't you? Are, are they just covered in dots? Rather than evolving. This, you, you, yes, twice you've done me today, Yoz, or twice you've, you've had a go at me after I, I said your picture at the start was probably someone hitting you for six. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think I've got any old old score books. I'm sure my, my old score, club has got. Sort of fell asleep when you were batting. <laughs> there we go. There we go. There we go. Listen, let's just turn this around a minute, Ian. What, what's the um, what's the strength of club cricket? What, what what's your feeling about um, yeah, the, the health of mm-hmm. it? That's a great, great question, that is, because we've just done some recordings with some guys about this for the next few weeks. My personal view, uh, and looking around the leagues that we're in right here in Derbyshire and the, the junior leagues we're in, in in Staffordshire, the strength is pretty darn good. We've got more teams, more clubs, more junior players than we've ever had by an absolute mile. Uh, we're into way into the double digits when it comes to women and girls cricket and the amount that are coming through there. And obviously at junior level, they play together in most cases. Um, although our Staffordshire board, cricket board, are now forming a women and girls softball league for around Staffordshire. There's that many. There's been It's been so tumultuous. So we'd say generally it's very, very good, the health of cricket. However, um, the biggest issues we find in club cricket generally all seem to see the same thing. Ground staff. There are very few ground staff in club cricket under the age of 60. And I'm being generous there because it's probably actually 70 and plus. And you know, where's that next generation of ground staff who are volunteering to go down to the club every single day during the season, get it ready? That's that's an imperative for every single cricket club in this country. Um, I think your volunteer sector within the whole club cricket world is getting tighter. There's there's a, always a small number of people who do a hell of a lot of things at a lot of clubs. So we're always about talking to clubs about how do you grow that? How do you grow the number of volunteers? Um, and to be fair, the ECB have helped a little bit with that with All-Stars and Dynamos at the junior level because we can start I was asking those parents to come along and do a bit more as well. And it just brings new faces into the club. You know, we're, we're a club ourselves who, up until only eight years ago, it was the same old bunch of 10 dozen people have been on committees for many years. But now we've refreshed that quite a lot over the last eight years and we're vibrant. We've gone from a junior section with six kids to 80 plus kids in the last six years. Um, you've got seven, eight, nine coaches, I'm thinking now, versus zero. That, and it's just volunteers. So... That seems to be a, pretty much the same everywhere. Interestingly, though, cash is always a big one because if you haven't got the cash coming across the you know the the counter for the cricket clubs, it's expensive game. This whether it's for rollers or whether it's for pavilions or even the big one right now, of course, is gas and electric for a lot of clubs has gone through the roof. Um, we're quite lucky at our own club; we don't open during the winter, so we're not suffering as much. But clubs who are open as almost social clubs during the winter. They're seeing their costs spiralling right now as well. So it's going to be an interesting year ahead, I think. But uh, a lot depends, I think, on what happens in cricket at the top end is what's going to happen at the bottom because we're pretty darn strong at the bottom in terms of numbers. It's whether it continues to be that way for the next five to ten years, isn't it? And you started your podcast uh, during lockdown. So it, it was a sort of local thing. You started, you thought this, this would be a good idea. But actually what you found is that clubs are contacting and players contacting you from all around the country. 100 percent you know there's there's never a week goes by without sort of hearing from someone from some way way part of the country now uh we're going to start a little program over the next couple of days in fact with regards to that to try and encourage one or two more clubs around the country to to work with us our very first follower on twitter was a club in west yorkshire um and we, yeah, and, uh, with the initials mcc which we thought was quite interesting at the time uh, and it's just great to see that people are pick up it on that all we're talking about is club cricket if we throw a bit of county in every now and again with our links to derbyshire we will do um but don't get you know don't make no mistake if we're talking to mickey arthur last year the whole conversation was about derbyshire and how does that get influenced club cricket how important is local club cricket to you guys what are you going to do with second 11 players are they going to go out and play in the premier league in the derbyshire league and then we talked to Jim George Scrimshaw you know, last year he played for Nottingham uh, sorry for Derbyshire against Nottinghamshire one night the next day he was playing for Dunstall in the local league you know, that's a professional cricketer who played for England Lions last year and that it's bringing that club element all the way through because there's just so many thousands of us around the country actually uh, I loved playing club cricket in the north uh, especially in Durham mm-hmm. it was 
the great thing about that is I, I had this idea of trying to create a sort of T20 league in Durham uh, because there's a very successful uh, setup in in Brisbane and in Adelaide in mm-hmm. Australia where they play pre-season T20 tournaments over a sort of long weekend or uh, you know a few days before the season starts. It's almost like a season yeah. warm-up in a way, and it's a tournament where they create franchises out of three or four clubs and put them together. And then, you know, it's a bit of extra cricket. It's a bit of extra sponsorship because it's bringing clubs together in, to create a slightly stronger club and smaller number of teams in a, in a short tournament. And I suggested this to some people in Durham and they said, <sighs> we've got too much cricket already. You know, we're playing T20 on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Thursday and a Friday and there's Colts and everything like that. So we haven't got any ground space. Our grounds are too busy. And of course, mm-hmm. the great thing about the Northeast, especially, is you can play till about 10 o'clock. I remember one game, we got to the ground for you know five thirty six o'clock start twenty over game and it rained and it was a bit you know a bit murky and horrible for a while. We started at eight and finished at quarter to ten and you could still see the ball. And lots of people in the northeast will be aware of that. That in Scotland's even better, isn't it? As long as it's not raining, you can you can play almost until midnight. So yeah, we, uh, wonderful opportunities up there, really. We tend to get through the overs a little bit quicker at club cricket. It's the best way to describe it. So you can run through those games very very fast. Uh, but you're right. It, there is a lot of cricket going on. There's no two ways about it at club cricket. I, it, at our ground alone next year, we'll be playing Saturday, Monday, Wednesday training, Thursday training, Friday, there'll be quick cricket, and then you're back around to Saturday. It comes around very, very fast. And that's where the pressure on these volunteers, ground staff is to, to make sure that we've got that pitch. We're we're actually opening up for the first time in our history a second ground this year for our club, for a third 11, which again puts more pressure on what we're going to do going forward. But what, I'm a big believer if you build it, they will come. Um, and I think this is a great situation that you know we're actually to build a really functional but heartwarming and welcoming cricket club. And it, you know everyone from our chairman all the way down to sort of our, our all-star parents who are now getting involved in coaching. We've had an all-star parents who's gone through their foundation level one coaching this year which means she can now take groups of kids for us yeah that's a great place to be and it can only grow every cricket club around the country so your your podcast stump sumps and beer pumps with a bit of an yep. emphasis on the beer pumps at the end but in, in a way that's become something that i suppose is slightly more controversial than it used to be because clubs <laughs> have been reliant on their alcohol sales haven't they but yeah. To increase uh, participation, perhaps the emphasis has moved away from that a bit to try and get more diverse members. Without a shadow. And it, it, it's a real sort of balancing act that we have to pull off, whether it's a pure drinking um, Friday night in front of quick cricket, or is it going to be with the barbecue? Or are we going to have a Prosecco night? Or are we going to have a ladies' day? Are we gonna... There's lots of different things we can do to make it just not that old school Go down to the cricket club, just drink, which is which is what it used to be back in the day, um, and it's it's a lot more flavoursome right throughout the whole year, and you know even down to what we call President's Day at our club in in late August, we make sure it's a real junior slash family day, uh, with juniors playing with the seniors and the, the barbecues on, the music's on. We live stream our games now, so last year we were commentating on some of the on the President's Day just for a bit of a crack. Uh, we put ourselves in the shoes of you two and. It's not that easy, but you know what? We we enjoyed it. It's the best way to describe it. Um, and it, you know, that to me is what what we could do with club cricket. Between myself and my colleagues, Richard, Neil and Rick, you know, if we can keep giving a bit back to cricket, because we've all got a lot out of it. You know, that's what we always say. We, it sounds corny, but we've got a hell of a lot out of club cricket. Um, it's, it's, it's our passion. I, three of us are big football fans, but actually we'd all say that our first love and our passion is cricket. And, you know, that's what we want to do is by putting it back with, with stump sumps. Uh, and the beer pumps for us is actually it's got nothing to do with drinking. It's just because we're based in Burton-upon-Trent and that's, you know, the home of the British brewing industry. So it's just a real nice link from our, my marketing guru, Mr. Winfield, who put pulled the name together back in the day. I've got horrible memories, you know, of my first game uh, for my club, my local club, when I was playing for the seniors, Ealing Creek Club. And it, I dropped a catch uh, early on in the match against an Australian touring side, and the bloke I dropped got a hundred. And so I was given a kind of you know dance of the day award, and the dance of the day award was something called an earthquake, which was basically six shots: so gin, brandy, vodka, rum, uh, tequila, and something else in a glass 
topped up with pineapple juice and I had to drink it down in one. And I was extremely ill after that. So I had very bad memories of anything to do with alcohol and club cricket for quite a while. But, you know, of course, I understand the importance of it. And long may it continue your work in the club system and obviously club cricket generally, which is absolutely the heartbeat of our game. So thanks very much for all you do. The podcast is called Stumps, Umps and Beer Pumps. You can get it on all usual podcast networks Uh, that's it for this week don't forget as i said danny wyatt is our guest in the virtual cricket club next week go to worldsbestcc.com for our gallery events and see who our members are see all the activities going on on that site you can join us for just six pounds a month and that gets not only access to all our live events but also this podcast without adverts as well what about that okay we'll be back next week thanks for listening Sports Social Podcast Network.